in that moment, I was really filled with regret because I was waiting for an opportunity to be handed to me. And in that moment, I was about to be on the streets, my dream squandered without a job. And that was the first moment in my life I was just filled with regret, like a visceral feeling of regret because I knew that I didn't give it all I had. And so through some different circumstances, they ended up keeping me on the team. And that was a big shift, not only in my football career, but my entire life, because I promised myself from that moment, I knew that eventually my time in the NFL would be done, but it's not going to be because I didn't give it everything I had. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec and best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense. In my journey, I have discovered that there are two types of people in this world. The difference between elite performers and the rest of the pack, or what I like to call those that play offense versus those that play defense. Defense always on their heels, offense on our toes. Defense playing not to lose, offense playing to win. Defense, the market dictates the terms, Offense, we operate on our terms, playing with purpose, playing with passion, and taking control of our future. So now, the question is, how do you want to play? And here on the Playmakers Podcast, we play offense 10 out of 10 times. As we ramp up toward today's episode, pull out your notepad so you can capture all the action so we can make plays and level up together. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Joe Howley into the conversation. Joe played in the NFL for eight seasons with the Atlanta Falcons and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then in 2017, on his own terms, he decided to walk away. Joe gave everything he owned to charity, he bought a van, he brought the dog, and hit the road for a cross-country trip that completely changed his life. Nearly two years later, he found what he was destined to find. He found himself. And now, he's on a journey to inspire others to find themselves. Serving as the proud founder of the Heart Collective, a group coaching program and online community for former athletes. I hope you're as fired up for the conversation with Joe as I am. And as a reminder, many of the key takeaways of today's show can be found in the show notes on playmakerspod.com. With that, let's welcome Joe Howley into the Playmakers Podcast. Joe, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I'm so good, man. Just living the dream. I appreciate you having me, Paul. <laughs> For sure. Well, and, and I can think when you say living the dream, in most cases, that's kind of a, a cliched opening. But in your case, brother, I know it's been a phenomenal uh, dreamlike year. So you, like I, we are brand new into the fatherhood gang. So uh, baby Luca, uh, you've welcomed them in. And so, um, you know, I was even listening to something recently with you and you actually talked about the way Luca came to be was through a quarantine love story. Talk to us about that. Yeah, yeah, it's been been one hell of a ride for sure. Um, you know, it's one of the things I try to do is is really enjoy this experience of life, and I've been very blessed 
over the last, uh, about a year and a half. Um, you know, I was in this, uh, this mastermind program with my wife for over a year, but we didn't actually meet. There was like 150 people in this thing and we did different events and had a lot of the same friends, but never really connected. And we actually went on our first yeah. date, um, like a week or two before quarantine happened last March in 2020, huh. uh, she ended up staying over and she never left. And so we ended up <laughs> quarantining together. And you know, if you can quarantine with somebody, uh, it's really quite obvious whether it's going to work out or not. And, um, it was just really divine timing. And, uh, since then we've gotten married and we have a three month old baby Luca, who's an absolute incredible gift and uh, really excited about that experience moving forward as well. Oh my goodness, bro. That's so awesome. So in, in the three months, just quick hit, and then we're going to do a, a hard pivot into this thing they call football. Cause I word on the street is that you played in the game before. So, um, number one lesson you've learned about just kind of, I know you're massive on self-awareness. So how have you evolved in the last three months because of kind of the new chapter of life via self-awareness? Like what's the biggest thing you've picked up in the last three months on that note? Yeah. I mean, I'm really grateful that I have the self-awareness and I've gone on this journey of really elevating my self-awareness before having a kid because it is challenging. Like, you know, the triggers yeah. come up, the the tiredness. And I think it's really cool because since football, my playing days kind of circling us back into, you know, football, like since then I haven't really had to show up for anything, right? Like football, mm. if I was tired, if I was worn out training camp, I didn't, I couldn't make excuses. I had to show up and, do, and get the job done. And so since then it's like, if something gets too hard or I'm just like not feeling it, I can just be like, ah, this isn't really my thing. But with yeah. a child, it's like another thing where I have to show up no matter what, no matter how tired I am. And so it's, it's, I'm really enjoying the challenge of showing up and the, and the mental toughness and the discipline for that. And then I'm just really stoked once he starts interacting with reality and I get to, you know, share my experience of life with him. I remember, you know, one of the things when I was younger, um, this is kind of a little backstory. Um, what I, I promised myself that when I had a kid, I had a son that I wanted to share with him as much life experience as I could. And I remember having that thought in high school and, you know, we'll, I'll talk about it on the podcast, but you know, yeah. the last 15 years of my life has been, you know, one hell of a journey and I'm really excited to share it with him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We're definitely in a, Double click on that. I, I do want to talk some journey. And so let's start with football. And then we're going to go into everything from man in a van with a dog to the heart collective to your mission and all this phenomenal stuff that I can't wait to share with the playmaker community. So let's talk football. So, all right, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about me. And uh, I'll say that you probably graduated about two or three steps way higher up the football ladder than I did. Cause the biggest I got was a couple of college offers, but probably like a lot of folks listening in, we kind of peak in high school. And so digging into your football journey, I saw something that I think would be really cool to share out. So in high school, on your way on being a part of a CIF championship team, I saw that you led the team in what they call decleaters via pancake blocks. So I, yes, there are football fans listening to this, but I actually want to educate the rest of the world. What is a pancake block? What is a decleater and how does it feel to do it? Oh man, uh, I haven't <laughs> thought about that in a long time. Yeah, that was a Really cool. So in high school, my coach was actually, he, our head coach was the offensive line coach. We ran the wing tee. We ran the ball. Ah. I think we have like the seventh best rushing record in state history. We had like 5,000 plus rushing yards. So we knew how to run the ball. And so our head coach really took a lot of pride in the offensive line. And so when it came to D cleats, it was like, not this like 
if the guy trips and falls on his back, it was, you had to grab a guy, run him over pretty much and to get <laughs> voted in. And, and if you thought you had a decle, you'd have to bring it up in the, in the offensive line meeting room and everybody would kind of vote on it. Oh, I love this. And so if there was any chance of him tripping over someone, they wouldn't count it. And so my junior year, it was my first year in varsity. I ended up leading the team with about, I think, 13 D cleats because they were really quite difficult to get. For the, sure. The next year, my senior year, you know, I started getting the scholarship offers, uh, you know, getting some attention. My first game of my senior year, I had nine D cleats and I ended up having 48 <laughs> that senior year. And so, yeah, I was just an animal just running people over. And with the offense that we ran, I was pulling a lot and just, you know, crushing kids. And, you know, looking back <laughs> on the long football journey that I've had playing 16 years, I really miss those days back in high school when I was just absolutely dominating everybody I played. Uh, definitely the, the, the talent definitely increased as you go up the levels for sure. I love that, brother. And so just curious, because I could hear the fire just in that response. Where did that intensity come from? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, you know, I didn't know why in the first place I started playing football. I just I felt this calling to go out my freshman year. I was too big to play when I was younger. And I'll never forget about halfway through my freshman year. I didn't even really know what the position groups were. I went out. They, they asked you to go into, you know, the line of the position group you wanted to play. And I wanted to be a linebacker. And very quickly yeah. the next day, my coach is like, you'd probably be an offensive line or defensive lineman. <laughs> So I went over there and yeah, the rest is history, but I had really no idea what I was doing. I was very raw. And I remember halfway through my freshman year, I grabbed onto a guy and I ran about 20 yards downfield onto his back. And I remember in that moment thinking, that's how you play football. And so every mm. single time I stepped on the field, I tried to do that. And I think, you know, one thing I take a lot of pride in, I'm, I'm a very undersized offensive lineman. The reason I made it so far as I did is because of my work ethic and the way I played on the field on game time. And so I think if you go back and watch any play for about my entire 16 year career, you'll see that I, you know, try and finish every single play with the same kind of attitude and effort. And I think that's what got me, you know, to the level of success that I found. Yeah, for sure. So you talk about attitude and effort. We are going to stick on football, but I do want to uh, just try to bring all playmakers out there. So attitude is something that is 100% in our control. So if you could say maybe one or two key characteristics of the type of attitude, whether it be football or the way you've been able to apply that to the rest of your life, just for all playmakers listening in, what are two key pieces of attitude that you'd like to share out that you think would help us all level up? Yeah, I think one thing uh, one of my coaches said back in the day was control your controllables, right? And so yeah, there's things yeah. that are outside your circumstance. And so even like, you know, as far as, you know, translating that into real life, external circumstances, sometimes we can't control those things, but we can control how we show up and respond to those things. A good example is a global pandemic. You know, some people had yeah. really good years, some people had really challenging years. And you know, it's really this internal journey of how can I show up and be the best that I can be in any given moment. And when it comes to football, like I wasn't the biggest, wasn't the strongest. And, you know, practice was really quite challenging for me. And a lot of people don't like to practice. And the reason I showed up and practiced as hard as I did and worked out in the weight room, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of lifting and stuff, but I loved the game of football so much that I did what I had to do to go play my best on game time because I love the game so much. So I think it's really mm. control your controllables and, and focus on the things that you can do and you can show up. I mean, I've I had a very up and down career, especially in the league. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, impressions with the front office and stuff that you have to really show up and you know a lot of like I lost my starting job five different times for for a wide variety of different reasons and every time that mm. happened I had to show up work hard and prove myself once again and so it's this continuing unfolding of learning the lessons and showing up and doing the best that you can do because you know for me I knew that 
eventually my time would be done playing and I didn't want it to be because I didn't give it my best effort. Yeah. Well, man. So losing your job, your starting job five times, I think that's a great metaphor for life in the sense that adversity is inevitable, whether it be macro like the pandemic or micro like, man, I just had a real shitty day today. That's it. It could be a, it could be a small thing. It could be a big thing. But what, what kept getting you off the mat? Because the first time, all right, maybe you felt like, ah, this is a one and done. And then the second time a new guy comes in, a third guy, but like, dude, you kept bouncing back. So like, if I call that resilience, like what, what are those keys to resilience on why you kept coming back? Yeah. I mean, I think all of them were, were different lessons, right? So the ver- very first kind of like big lesson of my, uh, NFL career was my, after my second year, um, you know, we had a, we had a 14 year starter and there's a little bit of context here, but we had a 14 year starter at center. I was the backup. I was playing guard at the time. And so he was set to retire going into that off season. And, you know, I thought I was going to move over to center my, my real position and kind of be the guy. And, you know, long story short, I basically go into the draft that year. And with the first pick of the draft, the Falcons selected the best center in the NFL or in the, in the draft out of college. And that was like the rub. Was that Mac? No, it was, uh, it was Peter Kahn's out of Wisconsin ah, okay. in 2012. And so it was like the rug was ripped out from under me and, and I was just felt so betrayed. I didn't know what was happening. And so in that moment I went from into training camp, my third year thinking I was going to be the starter to barely making the team. And I kind of had this victim mm-hmm. mentality, right? I was pointing the finger at the coaches. They didn't give me a chance. They didn't know how good I was. The strength coach didn't like me, all of these things externally. Right. And it yeah. all culminated to this point where I basically was about to get released. Um, I was sitting in front of the head coach and the GM and like, Joe, we're going to let you go. And there's a lot of context behind that, but just to keep it, keep it short in that moment, I was really filled with regret because I was waiting for an opportunity to be handed to me. And in that moment, I was about to be on the streets, my dream squandered without a job. And that was the first moment in my life. I was just filled with regret, like a visceral feeling of regret. Cause I yeah. knew that I didn't give it all I had. And so through some different circumstances, they ended up keeping me on the team. And that was a big shift, not only in my football career, but in my entire life, because I promised myself from that moment, I knew that eventually my time in the NFL would be done, but it's not going to be because I didn't give it everything I had. And so it really flipped Mm. a switch within my mind and my psyche to show up. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other lessons. I ended up earning the starting job a couple years later. And then four games into that season, I blew my knee out, um, which was a, a ACL MCL reconstruction total adversity and challenge there. And I ended up having to recover from that and ended up got cut, lost my starting job again. But that's when I went down to Tampa and had a a resurgence of my career. And yeah, so it's just the NFL has provided me with so much growth. It's taught me about who I am, what I'm capable of. And it wasn't because it was easy. It was because of all the challenges and, and the hardships and, you know, the growth that it provided. For sure. Now, and one thing that I love and just, again, connecting to all playmakers, because the majority of our listeners obviously have not been in the shoes of a professional athlete, but I think the lessons and insights you just shared are super applicable. And I want to go back. You said, control the controllables. You also said, quote, I didn't give it everything I had. And isn't it fascinating that whether intentionally or not, a handful of minutes prior to that, you said that you pride yourself on work ethic. And so I think that I often put things in the lens of values and the same things that get you out of bed that light you up. Sometimes you learn that that is super important to you because of pain. So as an example, one of my core values is authenticity. I love 
authentic, genuine, heartfelt people. You know why I know I love that? It's because at times in my life, I haven't led with authenticity. And when I got feedback that I wasn't being authentic, it was just the biggest gut punch of my life versus normally I wouldn't care. Constructive feedback, give it to me, life goes on. This one stuck with me and it stung for a while. So I think it's cool that through a lot of trial tribulation, you whether, you know, like you said, you got replaced, you got benched and then that resurgence, but it's all prided on controlling the controllable of work ethic. And also, Joe, you said, I love the game. Much easier to be resilient when there's a deeper purpose right? Purpose can be the fuel of resilience. And I think had you not loved football, maybe you don't get off the mat five times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely love the game that much. And there was, I mean, I have countless stories of, of lessons and adversities. And that's the cool thing about playing in the league and, and being in that environment. I remember at one point, I just look around the locker room and know that every single person in every single one of those lockers has some story of overcoming mm. adversity and challenge. And I think, you know, externally, a lot of people look in at, at the NFL and the players and, you know, might think it, you know, they just kind of are talented and they've been given this opportunity yeah. or they're just physically gifted. And there's plenty of physically gifted people and talented people out there, but every single person that's in the league, no matter how, you know, the practice squad guy all the way to the, the all star has some story of them showing up, learning who they are on a deeper level and showing up and overcoming doubt and fear and handling failure and limiting beliefs and overcoming challenge and adversity to get to where they are because it's this mindset of continuing to show up. And it's really beautiful to have had that experience and know that you know, everybody that's find success, even in, in, in the real world, right? In, in business, in entrepreneurship, in anything, People yeah. that find success have some story of usually have handled failure better than the other people because successful people just handle failure better and faster and continue to grow because that's where the growth happens. And without the failure, you aren't going to be able to grow and, and reach the level of success that you can find. Yeah, I love that. Every seat has a story. That's something that I know all playmakers out there, they've heard us talk about in past conversations. And it's something I, I just think it's a massive spirit of life. Like if you think that in a NFL locker room of 53 people, every single seat has the same story, undeniably wrong, right? Everybody has their unique background and perspective. Let me ask you this. So if you were to, you were in two professional locker rooms, Tampa Bay Bucks and Atlanta Falcons. So as you looked out in those rooms and let's say, I mean, to use kind of a life analogy here, some folks come from the school of hard knocks versus other folks kind of are raised with a silver spoon. And then there's a million stories that are in between that. So as you evaluate kind of those locker rooms of Tampa and Atlanta, just kind of that NFL type of vibe, like, did you notice a difference in the folks that maybe were raised in one of those two extremes, hard knocks versus silver spoon? Like, did you kind of see that translate onto the playing field at times based on where they come from? I, I mean, I think football, you know, the cool thing, and I'm really grateful for this reflecting back on my journey playing football. And I'm so grateful for this, this thing, cause it's a, it's a very rare thing in our culture and society is I got to play with people from a wide variety of different backgrounds, different yeah. upbringings, inner cities, different, you know, challenges, upbringing. And then, you know, when you step on the field and you go to battle together, all of those stories, those backgrounds, those you know, upbringings and the, the ideas of who people think they are and how they show up in the world all wash away and we become mm. teammates. And the cool thing mm. about football is you have to show up. The reason I'm able, I was able to push myself so physically past my limits was not because 
I was doing it for myself. I was doing it for the man next to me. And so I've yeah. had that experience playing with thousands of teammates over my 16 years. And you know, every team in the NFL, the turnover is crazy. And so I'm just playing with so many different people, but all of these different stories, when we come together and we have this common goal on Sundays to go win a game, it's like all of those stories wash away and you connect and you really see people and see what they're made of. So it doesn't really matter what their upbringing is because that doesn't yeah. define them, right? It, what defines yeah. them is how they show up and um, are able to push themselves for the greater good of the team. And so making those connections, like if I didn't have football, I wouldn't have been able to really understand that deeper level of, hey, are you going to show up for me? I'm going to show up for you. Our stories don't really matter. And then, you know, that taking into the locker room and just connecting with guys that I probably wouldn't be friends with, you know, just in normal everyday life, but I was able to connect with them and realize like we are brothers on this deeper level and bringing that work out into the world. I think that's why in our you know society and our culture, people love sports so much because it's this, this metaphor of how we can come together and work together and put yep. our differences aside. Yeah. You know, what's really cool about what you just said, Joe, and it reminds me, we had a, a former uh, retired Navy SEAL officer, uh, Rich Devinney on a prior show. And he talked to us about how you build trust and it was 100% what you just said. When you look to your left and when you look to your right and you have a common mission, the inspiration is not about you. It's to do it for your brother or your sister to your left or your right, that person that you're locking arms with. And that is how you build trust. And when asked, why would you put in, in his case, why would you put your life on the line for something like this? And his response was, because they would have done it for me. You know, like, that's it, dude. Like that, that just captures everything because they would have done it for me. So you just talked about this amazing spirit of brotherhood. I'm going to get to why take a leap. Why, what led to the retirement? But before that, I've heard you share a really funny, cool uh, story about draft day. You want to walk us through that kind of the, the process of getting that call? I, I just literally, man, it was one of the, the bigger LOLs of my life, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so in 2010 was my draft year. Um, you know, I, when I was going into the draft process, I played at UNLV, which is a smaller school. So I was very, I was a realist. You know, I had a lot of guys I played with. They're like, I'm going to be drafted in the second, third round. And I'm like, you know, playing at UNLV, like the odds are slim. So I was a realist. And I was kind of projected early in the draft process, seventh round to college free agent. But I, I got an invite to the combine and really showed up and started working my way up draft boards. And so, um, you know, that year, I don't know how they do it now, but the first round was on Thursday, primetime, second and third round were primetime on Friday. And then Saturday morning, I was on the West Coast in California. My parents' house starts at like 7 a.m. in the morning and kind of goes all day yeah. the rest of the draft. And so I, I thought I had a chance of getting drafted and I was really close, I think, to uh, getting drafted 80th overall in the third round to the Denver Broncos. And it's really fascinating how if I would have got drafted to any other team, how much different my entire life would be. And like those, those micro decisions on mm -hmm. people getting drafted, it really shifts in the entire reality is kind of boggles the mind. But so I go, I end up not getting drafted in the third round, which was a disappointment. So there was like three teams that really liked me. I think it was the bears, the Eagles and the Broncos. And so I wake up in the morning and I think the, the Eagles had a, an early draft pick in the fourth round. And so once their, you know, their pick came and went and I didn't hear anything, I had like 20 picks until the bears pick or the Broncos pick. And so I had some time. And so I ended up, Oh, I'm just going to go do my morning, uh, my morning routine and go use the restroom. And I left my cell phone, uh, on the couch. And so I'm just sitting there on the, on the toilet, you know, just enjoying myself. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, you know, my mom at, at her, house has the the caller id that says out loud who's calling and so the phone starts ringing and it says atlanta falcons and i didn't know the falcons were interested in me at all it was like one of those things yeah. that kind of i was under the radar 
And I was like, oh my goodness. So I like finished up real quick and I went and looked at my phone. <laughs> I had all these missed calls from these area codes I didn't see. My agent was calling me and I was like, what the heck? And so finally I answered the, the house phone. I was like, hey, uh, what's up? And it was Thomas Dimitrov. And he's like, hey, uh, we almost skipped your pick because we couldn't get a hold of you. Like, you're right. And I was like, yeah, my bad. I was in the restroom. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, how would you like to be the 117th pick of the 2010 draft and come play for us here in Atlanta? And I was just blown away. I got to talk to the owner, the head coach. Awesome and everybody. And yeah, really one of the, the best moments of my life, right? Childhood dream. I think every guy that wants to play in, in the professional level is, is getting their name on called on draft day is a huge moment. Um, yeah. but looking back now, realizing that's really where the journey just starts, not the end at all. For sure. Well, th thank goodness that you finished up quickly. I mean, that's, that <laughs> that's crazy, man. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. And, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed as much as I did. All right. So now, we're, we're talking to you not as a present, a current NFL player. You are in the alum group, right? And um, I really think there's a fascinating backstory and purpose and mission behind it. So talk to us about what led up to the point where you said, I'm going to hang up the cleats. Like, just, you know, walk us through kind of the tail end of that journey. And then, of course, we're going to double click on what you've been up to ever since. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, obviously football um, at that level is really challenging. There's a lot of different layers that go into it. There's a business side of it. There's the physical pain and trauma that's put on the body from having to show up constantly, the mental stress of performance anxiety. So all of these things started weighing on me. And, you know, I blew my knee out my fifth year and that was a real challenge and kind of, you know, unbalanced my body and, you know, just trying to, trying to work through that. And I got to a point where, you know, I was, I had made enough money to be financially secure and I was confronted with this question of, you know, do I keep playing or do I move on and, and, and take my health as a priority? And I made the very difficult decision to, uh, cause it wasn't an easy decision at all to walk away from the game because of my, you know, just wanted to take care of my health, my mental health, my emotional health, mm -hmm. and my physical health. And so that was a slow process that, you know, culminated into going into training camp my eighth year. I once again had to compete for my starting job with a younger guy and ended up, that's the fifth time I lost my starting job. And I went into week yeah. one of that year. And I remember, um, being on the sideline in my street clothes, I was an inactive guy for the first, you know, half of the season until a couple guys got hurt. And I remember, you know, watching the opening kickoff of week one, we're playing the bears and, you know, the offense was getting ready to go out and I was kind of cheering the guys on and I was just back on the sideline. And it was the first time in my entire career that I felt content without being out there competing. Mm. Cause every other time, like my rookie year, when I was a backup, every time I got hurt, it was like, I felt like I wasn't even a part of the team because I wanted to be out there on game time contributing yeah. to feel like I was a part of the team. And that was the first time where I was like, you know, I'm okay with not being out there because I knew my, my body would feel better and just not having to like perform. And I was just there in that role of supporting the guys. And so I, I realized in that moment, this is going to be my last year playing football. And so I'm really grateful that I had the ability to understand that and go through a whole season, my final season with that in the back of my mind. So I was able to stay very present with, you know, everything that goes into a football season. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful towards the end, like my final five games, because a couple injuries, I got to actually play my final five games, which is a real gift because, you know, For before sure. those games, I was like, I don't know if I still got it. My knees are hurting. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm, I'm about to be done playing football. And then, you know, the universe is like, no, we're going to see if you still got it. And I went out there and I played, <laughs> you know, five of the best games of my entire career. And it was a really beautiful moment to know that I was walking away on my own terms. And it wasn't because I couldn't really compete with the best in the world anymore. It was because I was choosing my health over 
this thing and over money. And, um, you know, a few weeks after the final game, the finality of that decision really hit me. And, um, mm. I was really surprised about, you know, how challenging that really was. You know, I, I was a, a part of a select few guys who walk away on their own terms, right? Most guys careers are over before they want it to be. And it was still really challenging for me. And I went through a big transition in a relationship. I was engaged at the time too. It was about four weeks before my final game. So it wasn't just football, yeah. but it was, you know, my entire life was in transition and, you know, for me, I, I started asking these bigger questions of, of who am I without this thing that has defined me for so long. And I think a lot mm. of former athletes, no matter what level you play at, when you're done playing, you're, you're confronted with this identity crisis because you've identified with that thing for so long. Yeah. And so for me, it was about going on a journey of self-discovery and figuring out who I am without this thing that had defined me for so long, this thing that I've been so singularly focused on of accomplishing this dream and, and wanting to explore the freedom uh, of my life for the first time from this thing. And, and really it was, it was a little bit overwhelming with all the options. And so what I decided is, you know what, I'm going to go on this road trip. I'm going to go, you know, just explore this freedom before I dive into whatever I do next. And so that, it was going to be a couple month road trip to visit some friends around the country. It turned into almost two years and um, <laughs> absolutely changed my life in every way possible. As we take a short break from today's interview, I'd like to share a quick reminder to check out the episode show notes on playmakerspod.com, where you will find a treasure trove of key insights, thought starters, and additional resources from today's conversation. Also, a quick shout out to our show sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. It's time to level up. So let me ask you this. I, I, I do want to get to the man in the van and the dog and, and bring all playmakers in. But I, as I hear what you just recounted, so your leap, and I relate in many ways, and everybody listening in knows my backstory of the Jerry Maguire moment of why the heck would I ever leave an executive role in the NFL and NBA, which for me, that was my version of kind of a kid in a candy store dream career. Your case, getting that draft call and then grinding for eight years with your brothers. Like, I mean, that's just an amazing piece. So, but you left on your terms and you explained why to bring all playmakers in our community listening. And let's say they're facing a similar uh, fork in the road, you know, kind of staying with the course. And maybe their identity is very attached to, I've been doing X for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And maybe there's an alternate. Um, I know it wasn't an easy decision for you, but if you could kind of key in on one piece of insight that you think would be valuable as you're facing that fork in the road, what perspective could you share with us? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's, it's this fear of the unknown. And I think there's, there's, so many moments in all of our lives where we're faced with big decisions, big transitional moments. Yep. And a lot of times we decide to stay comfortable, right? We might be in a relationship yep. that is not serving us to the best of our ability, but what's the alternative, right? Being by myself. And so we stay in the relationship. Same thing with a job. And for me, and I think for a lot of people, there is there's this inner whisper that starts to, to percolate up, mm. right? And for me, it was like, okay, are, are we 
you know, this whisper was like, Hey, you're, you're, you're coming close to the end of this career. And I didn't know what was next. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had to honor this thing. Cause if I stayed in, I would have been miserable. And so the decision becomes going to the unknown, which is a really scary place or stay comfortable and not knowing, you know, what I can really accomplish outside of this thing that if, if you're feeling that within yourself, like this job's not serving me, this relationship's not serving me, this, you know, environment I'm in is not serving me, but you stay mm-hmm. in it. That's going to eventually kind of percolate into a more intense environment where you're kind of forced to make the decision. And for me, you know, the, the advice I would offer is, you know, where real growth happens is, is outside of your comfort zone. And so this decision yeah. was one of the most challenging in my life. And I'm really grateful that I had the courage because it takes courage to take the leap into the unknown. But I truly mm-hmm. believe that those who have the courage to, you know, follow their hearts and go into the unknown, um, the universe really rewards them in, in really magical ways. I'm not saying that's super easy, but through the challenges that you face going through that process will lead to uh, an immense amount of growth and figuring out yeah. what your next calling is, what your next experience you're being called to do is. Cause one thing I've learned in this experience of life is everything is impermanent. And so mm-hmm. transitions are okay. It's just the next phase of life. And to, it doesn't mean they're easy, but to welcome them and to see them as a new adventure of exploration. I think, you know, reframing it in that way is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love it. You brought up adventure It's something that I I've heard you say before is that on the other side of fear lies freedom on the other side of fear lies freedom. So here you go. You were afraid of the decision, but you pulled the trigger. You made it. Talk to us about the adventure that was next. So talk to us about this story that ends up being on freaking USA Today and you name it about man in a van and a dog. And I actually, I'll let you share this, but I think, um, tell us the story about the dog too, because I might've just said his name in part of the setup of this. So talk to us about the van journey, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, walking away from, from the game, it was, I was faced with a lot of unique challenges that I wasn't really prepared for. And you know, I, it was very, it was an isolating experience. I, you know, realizing my identity was wrapped up in football, but also the people I cared about and loved and the whole world that I had created for myself, everybody saw me as a football player. And so I wanted to figure out who I was without this thing in relation to it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went through the breakup, I went through the transition. And so I wanted to go on this road trip. So I ended up giving away all my stuff to charity because I just wanted to start over. I wanted to live this minimalist lifestyle and really go mm-hmm. back to the basics. So I gave away all my stuff to charity, bought a van. If it didn't fit in the van, I just gave it away. And I knew that being <laughs> on the road, I wanted to have a travel companion and I thought a dog would be great. And so I went to a local shelter and ended up finding uh, my, my, my dog Freedom, um, who's been an absolute <laughs> gift and an amazing travel companion. And I don't know if I'd you know be where I'm at without her because she was able to support like it, this, this man van dog blog and this journey. It's easy to look back and see the transformation and the growth that took place. But when I was in it, I didn't know who I was. There was this, there was a part of me that was really excited about this adventure, but there's a deeper part of me that was really trying to figure out who I was and what my purpose was and what this deeper meaning of life was. And so, you know, I, uh, I decided I, I felt almost responsible that I had this unique opportunity. I had, you know, was financially secure, had made some money and I had all this free time. And I know so many people are, you know, working their nine to five and they're unhappy. And I felt called to, to share this experience through social media so that people could follow along on the journey that who may not have the opportunity to do such an experience. Mm-hmm. And so that led me to create the blog. And, you know, I shared it on Instagram. I made some YouTube videos and slowly started to gain some attention. USA Today did an article. ESPN did an article. 
And it was really beautiful. And I'm glad I ended up doing that because looking back on it, I got so many messages from people who were just sharing like how much I was inspiring them just by living my life and making this decision. And that really filled me with so much more inspiration to continue the journey, to continue to question the stories of what it means to be successful, what it means to be happy. And living Mm -hmm. this alternative lifestyle has really kind of opened my mind to the possibility that we are the creators of our reality and we get to create the experience that we want to live. And a lot of times the only thing that's keeping us from that is our own stories of why we think we can't. Ah, that's so good. So good. So you go on this journey. I mean, there's so much to unpack here, but uh, because I do want to share the message and the mission of the Heart Collective. So between the van, what happens to eventually set up this ecosystem of impact, as I think of it, that's called the Heart Collective. So talk to us about the Heart Collective, but what connects the two? What's the bridge between the van and the multi-year journey to forming the Heart Collective? Absolutely. So the Heart Collective is a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes. And the vision behind that was, you know, after a couple years on the road, you know, it was a really fun experience, a lot of self-discovery, figuring out who I was. Um, I connected with a couple different communities, masterminds, like-minded people to really continue to, to improve and reach my highest version of myself and find success. But I still had this, this, what's my purpose? What am I here to do? Yeah. And through that journey, realizing, you know, the unique challenges that, you know, a professional, former professional athlete faces for me, it was so challenging. And I was, like I said, I played eight years, made some money and walked away on my own terms and it was still challenging. So I just realized there's this huge missing piece to support guys going through that experience. And so I felt called to create and, you know, I, I, I looked out in the world and didn't really see anything that really fit what I was looking for in that context. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to create this community to help provide a space and a container for these guys to really support one another. Cause one of the hard things about going through this experience is it's hard for normal people that haven't gone through the experience to hold space for it. Right. A lot, most people, if I yeah. say, you know, maybe I'm struggling or maybe I don't know what my purpose is, what am I supposed to be doing? They'll look at me like, why are you complaining? You made a lot of money, you lived your dream. You can do whatever you want now. Like go, go do it. But it's, it's so much deeper than that. And so the vision is to build this community so that it's kind of this peer led support group of guys that can hold space for one another through the experience of not only our journeys through the NFL, because there's so many, so much adversity and challenges through that experience, but the challenges faced through transition and then trying to find success and deeper meaning in the world now that the game is over. And, you know, it, I think it's really, I'm really excited about the impact that this community is going to have. It's, it's already have and is going to continue to grow and expand because athletes are really special individuals. Like we talked about mm-hmm. throughout this podcast, the mental toughness, the discipline, the the ability to handle failure, overcoming their own limiting beliefs to continue to show up and, and grow and reach higher levels of success. And when the game's over, a lot of guys, they, they lose the direction, they lose that meaning, they lose that purpose, and they don't know mm-hmm. where, to, where to channel that energy that got them to reach one of the most challenging things to reach in, you know, pinnacle success in sports and they're kind of just floating around. And so providing a container to support one another in really finding deeper meaning in life so that we can come together, expand our network and show up and make the world a better place through the work that we're doing by supporting each other and finding out what that is going to be. Yeah, now this is so good. And I mentioned it and I'm happy to share this openly because I I said this right before we hopped on the interview today, but I think just based on the mission you just said, there's so much synergy and alignment with um, the inner spirit of me, my organization. I think there's a ton of ways to collaborate, but here's what I'm thinking about the Heart Collective though. 
I love everything you just said. And that happened, it was a decision, a conscious decision that you made on the back end, a very purpose-driven decision on the back end of this multi-year journey in a van. What was like, just, just walk us through a day in the life in the van of like, I'm just trying to figure out like what you went through, through that journey. You covered it at a macro level, but what is a day in the life? And then, you know, how did, how, what was that aha moment, that light bulb that was like, dude, I got to do something. I got to form a community. It's going to be focused on X and Y, and here's how we're going to serve. Like bridge that gap. But first talk us, to us about a day in the life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole process. And so starting with, you know, the experience of, of the van, there was a wide range of experiences. And I think that's what was so beautiful about it. Um, but it was just continuing to get outside of my comfort zone. And it wasn't this like, Oh, easy, magical experience. Like there was a lot of times when I was alone in my van doing long drives, not really having anybody to talk to, just listening to podcasts and learning. And, you know, I just continued, there was places that I wanted to see, um, in nature. Right. And I remember when I, before I planned the trip, I remember looking at my Instagram feed and I was following like national park page. And I remember seeing all these beautiful national parks right here in the U S and I remember telling myself, I want to see these things with my own two eyes, not just through this two dimensional screen. I want to go live it Mm -hmm. and experience the energy of these places. And so that was part of the inspiration of wanting to go to different national parks throughout the country. So I had, you know, a few, uh, on my, on my bucket list. I also wanted to go see a bunch of baseball because I wanted to be involved with sports, but take a break from football. So I went to over 20 stadiums all across the country as well. Very cool. And so I went to major cities, like all across the country, national parks. And, you know, I was able to meet people and just staying open to the adventure of the road and continuing to get outside of my comfort zone really is where a lot of the growth happened. Um, and as far as like working into the vision of creating this community, it's, it's definitely been a process. I think anybody out there who's an entrepreneur knows that when you have an idea, it's, you got to continue to show up and fine tune it. And so when that idea first came to me, uh, to be quite honest, I had a lot of resistance, a lot of fear. And, mm. you know, I, I take it back, back story to my playing days. You know, I had a lot of resistance to stepping up as a leader. I was always a, a leader in the locker room. Mm. I was always a, you know, lead by example kind of guy, but there were so many moments throughout my, my football career when I had this intuitive hit to like, Hey, this is a time to give a speech, or this is a time to really lead these guys. And are they doing the right thing? Can we, can we bring them back in the vision? And I always played small in those moments. And so for Mm. me to all of a sudden have this, this vision of creating community and stepping up as a leader in that way, I honestly wanted to turn away from it. I had so much fear, so much resistance, but it was almost like this thing is, it's bigger than me and it wants to be created through Mm. me. And, And in the journey that I've been on, I have the ability and the experience to really cultivate this amazing community for these guys. And so the first year of this idea was really fine tuning the idea. What does it even look like? And then working through my own fear and my own resistance to continue to grow and step up as a leader in this way. And so then we launched in November, 2020, and it was a probably a year before that where I was just continuing to talk to people and just gather information. And then we've been slowly building it online through our weekly calls or drop-in calls. We have, you know, an app that we use where we can stay connected online, but the real power has been in these in-person live experience retreats where we hosted our first one in the first weekend of June. I don't know when this is going to air, but, and it was, we had six former athletes there and it absolutely blew my expectations away. And it's really reinvigorated my spirit and my inspiration to continue to build out these in-person experiences. So guys can really connect with other athletes in this way, not only, you know, talk about ball, but open up, share, be vulnerable and talk about the challenges of life, you know, especially around other men, other men that can, 
you know, relate with the experience that we're going through. It, it's really, truly a magical transformational experience. And we have our next retreat coming up first weekend of September where we're partnering with a whitewater rafting company. They sold me one of their permits. So I got 20 slots, all going to be former athletes. And we're going to come together and do this, this river expedition out in nature. And it's going to be uh, love that beautiful. I love it. And for anybody that's just curious about the heart collective, because all of this is online, but I, I mean, something that struck me and I'm always doing workshops for teams and organizations around mission, vision, values, which really bubbles up to purpose. But you have a lot of these elements on your site. And I just want to read a few out and then ask a question. So one of your uh, several values here, we are leaders and role models and use our influence to make a positive impact in the world. Then elements of your purpose are to reach higher levels of self-awareness and to find deeper fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives. So I would say for every playmaker listening in right now, check, check, and check. I mean, there, there ain't a single person listening in that doesn't want those things. The secret sauce is the how. And so if we could spend a few minutes on that. So I am coming into the Heart Collective. I happen to be because of the community intentionally that you're building. I'm a former pro athlete, but I, I, I don't view this as an isolated thing. I think purpose is applicable and accessible to us all, but there's a process to find it. So what is one uh, tactical, portable, accessible piece of how, if I don't know my purpose, if I don't feel like I have a purpose in life, can you walk us through those early stages of what you think every single person listening in should do if that's how they're feeling on the inside? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me, um, and, and for, for most people, and, and you know, when I was, when I was traveling the road, those, the, and, and before this IT came to me, I was like, okay, what's my purpose? What's my deeper, you know, drive here in this life now that I'm done playing. And it wasn't until I started asking myself the simple question, how can I be of service? And I think that's a mm -hmm. really important piece of when you're looking to find deeper meaning, fulfillment and purpose in life is to ask yourself the question, how can I be of service? And I think some practical steps is to really get clear on the vision of who you want to be. What's the highest version of yourself? What does that look like? And, you know, journal about it, write it down and to understand yeah. that the only thing keeping you from achieving that or reaching those levels of, you know, self-realization or vision and purpose is the idea and the thoughts and the programming of, you know, that you were told, you know, while you're growing up, maybe some fear of why you think you can't do it. And so the process is really an, mm. un an uncovering and a shedding of these limiting beliefs and these things and these stories of, of what I'm meant to do. And I think it's really challenging in our society and our culture of, of what we're told success looks like, what we're told happiness looks like, you know, mm -hmm. I need to have a high paying job, even though I'm unhappy and it's not really fulfilling me. And so I think it's about getting clear on, on what you want to create in life and understand that you are the creator of your reality and you can show up and, you know, be of service in a way it doesn't have to be like, you know, I used to have this idea of being of service is going and volunteering, you know, at a, at a, a soup kitchen or, or, you know, a nonprofit, mm -hmm. but being of service, you can, you can build a product, you can build a business, you can show up and just in every interaction, every relationship you have be of service. And it's really this energy that you embody. And in order to get to that place, you have to work through the stories and the limiting beliefs that are within you that are keeping you from reaching those levels. Yeah, no, this is so good. So if I could just recap it and then add one tactical how-to to double down on what you just said. So as we're listening in and we're thinking, I, I'm not maxing out on my purpose or I'm not sure what my purpose is, your core question is, ask yourself, how can I be of service? 
The reason that's important is because there's elements of contribution in there. So your service is your contribution. And on the back end of every contribution is impact, meaning what difference do you want to make, right? Like if you're having trouble ask, asking yourself about service, what difference do I want to make? And that can be small, it can be medium, it can be big. And you brought up journaling. I think that's important. So for every playmaker listening out there, I know, I know we're getting tactical right now, but to me, we got to close the loop because otherwise it's just an inspirational conversation. I want this to be able to impact a life and then two and then 10 and then a hundred as soon as this episode launches. So the journaling piece is simple. Once a week, journal. What is one action you are going to take in honor of that service? So if you're the service you want to create, the impact you want to make is X, what's one thing you're going to do this week? And then a week from now, look back and check the box or say that you missed it and then reset the next week's goal, the next week's goal, the next week's goal. And I know you're big into habits and atomic habits, one of your favorite reads. That's kind of it. You change one element of life at a time until it becomes habitual and then you keep on scaling up from there. So for everybody listening in, ask yourself, how can I be of service and do a weekly journal that's filled with one action per week um, to hold yourself accountable. So I think that could be a massive game changer. Yeah, I, I just I think another thing that came to me, you know, as I've been building this community and realizing that, you know, to be of service to something greater than yourself, um, every athlete knows what that's like, because we talked about earlier in the show, you know, I did it for the guy next to me. The reason I was able to push myself to limits that I wouldn't be able to do alone is because I was showing up to be of service to something greater than myself. And so I think that's a big part of being human and finding real deep fulfillment is finding something that you can be of service to greater than the self. And a lot of times when you're able to figure that out and do that, you are rewarded energetically, whether it's financially, um, or support or whatever it is. But if you're doing things from this place of how can I get mine, it's going to be a lot more challenging for you to show up and go through those hardships because when you're showing up of something greater than yourself, it allows you to go through the challenges with a lot more grace and energy. Uh, beautiful. Well, you know what, Joe? As much as we like routine here and we typically close out with what is the impact you want to create in the world, I think you just said it, brother. You're inspiring a group, a community of like-minded, like-hearted folks that after your own self-discovery, through doubling down on your own self-awareness, you discovered your purpose, you clarified with conviction what your impact is, and that's how you're paying it forward through the Heart Collective and beyond. So before we close out, where can folks find you? How can we connect with you? How can we just stay in touch with all the amazing stuff that you're doing? Yeah, the, the easiest way to learn about the Heart Collective is theheartcollective.com. It's H-A-R-T. And I got my personal website where you can find all the links for everything I'm working on, joe-holly.com. And then I have two podcasts if people want to check those out, Life Beyond the Game, where I bring on former pro athletes to talk about their transition and stuff behind the face mask uh, and their journey of, of transitioning out of sports and what that's like. And then I got Quantum Coffee, where we discuss the unanswerable questions of the universe. And that one's just a lot of fun. So if you're interested in kind of getting curious about, you know, different belief structures and systems and, and kind of what's going on collectively in our environment, that would be a great podcast to check out. And then you can also find me on Instagram at joe.holly. Beautiful. Well, Joe, on behalf of every single playmaker out there, thank you for helping us level up. And of course, the common mission here is we're all inspired to make more plays, brother. So continue to make plays of your own and pay it forward as we're all inspired to not only just run through the wall for each other, but we're going to lock arms and run through the wall together. Thanks for being on, Joe. Yeah, thanks, brother. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for everybody for listening. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another playmaker. 
And if you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, would so appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating. For all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from this show, but all previous episodes as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in from. And on a personal note, I'd love to connect one-to-one. Hit me up anytime on LinkedIn at Paul Epstein or Instagram at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Detroit Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers.